if you're in the bathroom brushing your teeth, yeah, take a little fart as well. Why not? Hello there, Michelle. Geordie, Geordie. Hello. How are you? Mm, I'm okay, actually. Thanks. And yourself? Good. You sound not unwell like you did last year. Not unwell. Last year. You sounded unwell. Well, it does linger, those uh, seasonal coughs and colds or COVIDs or whatever you like to call them. I think I'm on the mend. It has been a lingerer, though. But listen, Michelle, I've got to go straight in with some travel pussy news. What? Straight in. Okay. I know we go on and on about it, right, the travel pussy, but it's funny. It was shocking and funny. Yeah. And the thing is, Michelle, I expect that your poor fiancé hasn't had a moment to drive to Germany and purchase his own for an unboxing video, as we've said that we would do. But our German eavesdropper, Anushka, has kindly translated the package instructions to give us more of an idea of what to expect. (laughs) Do you want to hear what it says, the translated version? I would love to. I thought you were going to say Anushka kindly drove to an autobahn (laughs) toilet (laughs) and purchased a travel pussy and did an unboxing. You still can, Anushka, you still can. Well, she still could if she wanted to, but I think this is good enough, Anushka. Stand down. This is perfect. (laughs) And thank you for sending this in. It says, and I quote, For private moments on the road, artificial vagina, which preferably should be filled with warm water. What? And straight away, the travel pussy, sorry, is ready for wunderschönes. I think I've pronounced that right. And I think that just means a good time. I don't know. Anushka is then reluctant to continue reading, but... (laughs) She did catch the following. Okay. Can be filled with air. Air? But it's preferable to have hot water in there. Oh, my God. For a more realistic feeling, I suppose. And then it goes on to say, a compact, discreet masturbation help for men. Oh. And finally, she said this was an untranslatable sentence, and I'll read it to you in my worst German. Era lust mushy for unterwegs. And I think that means mushy is pussy, I think. Okay. And... Unterwegs, and this is interesting because I've got a friend who's married a man with this last name, Unterweger, oh. which is an Austrian name. I think it means on the go. I think it means on the road. Unterweg, yeah. Unter, on, the, on the road. Yeah. So there you have it. All the details. We don't need to unbox it now. Well, that's still going to happen. Well, still could. Because next time I'm on that autobahn, I'm going to pick up a travel pussy. You can bet your bottom dollar I will. What if it's more than five ninety nine, Michelle? I'm still going to do it for the love of the podcast. That's a good one. And speaking of love of the podcast, by the way, if you've just tuned in and you're not a regular (laughs) eavesdropper, my name is Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And you are listening to Eavesdropping, the comedy podcast. Comedy podcast. Comedy. And it's weekly. It is weekly. It's also why we talk about the travel pussy because we get a lot of comedy from that well, we're going to just rinse that. We're going to r- not literally rinse that travel pussy because I think it is a one use only. Although we didn't get that info from Anushka. Anushka, get back on the job. And also Anushka, maybe you didn't see the picture because I can't remember where I posted it. It might have only been for Patreon users only. I did yeah. pop a picture of the travel pussy and it did say something like... Lustmushi. Wunterlick. And I thought, oh. does that mean it's good for a lick? I don't know. <laughs> what that meant lick might just mean like or something else my mind went wild we also did talk about the tenga egg well i did show the video i was describing the tenga egg to poor andreas i did show him the video he was shocked mortified can't shut up about that egg (laughs) he's still asking about it so it's it's almost like a car crash for him isn't it he's shocked but equally fascinated wants to know more so now it's the travel pussy and the egg that was courtesy of kiss apocalypse put me onto the tenga egg right now i just want to say with reference to all our beautiful listeners who are writing in quite a lot now and it's fantastic we love that you know how much we love all our beautiful eavesdroppers our lovely listeners we gave a shout out to shari who didn't mind being called sharty actually oh. she loved that <laughs> she loved it Yay! she called herself sharty oh, in a message lovely she had a birthday, we shouted out, and she's been getting a lot of love in particular. Well, after she sent the voice note from last week's episode, yes. after I played that, whilst recording, I also managed not only to change the theme of the messages that we had been conversing on, 
But also I sent her an angry emoji on her voice note and <laughs> I came off the recording to get a very upset kind of like, what? have I said something wrong? I was like, oh my God, I had no idea how I did it. I, I felt so bad. Shari, please accept my apologies. I have already groveled, but you know, we do love you guys and we love your messages. So please keep it up. And if you get some sort of weird response, it's probably because Fat Fingers over here doesn't know what she's doing with the tech. And sent an angry emoji. Exactly. Do you know what else happened on the Instagram mm. as well? Because, you know, I run the Instagram. Yes, you do. Uh, You're the gram girl. I do. We've been messaged by a few famous people and we've had them following us and getting in touch. Who? Michelle. Who? Well, this, I tell you what, my arse nearly fell out when I read this because I was beside myself. I love this person. Uh, we had a comment and friend request from none other than the police drummer, Stuart Copeland. It just makes me excited just thinking about it. Stuart says the following. (laughs) Hello, beautiful, he says. I'll take that. (laughs) I have seen a quite handful of your comment on my business page. So I decided to create a more private page to appreciate those people whose comments and good wishes encourages me and I hope to bring you guys more, dot, dot, dot. Thanks a lot. I feel so honoured and blessed to have an amazing fan like you. DM, heart emoji, flame emoji. Now, Stuart, <laughs> I did respond and I tagged who I knew to be Stuart Copeland at the same time saying, thank you for your message. I'm pretty sure you don't need our encouragement. Uh, <laughs> And also those spelling errors, I'm pretty sure a very intelligent man like Stuart Copeland wouldn't have made those. I've got a feeling it's a fakie. But I shouldn't have been surprised because I've also been befriended by Keanu Reeves and Daryl Hall. No! And they've all sent messages, yes. Clearly very popular. How do they know that you're a big fan? Well, I think it's because it's heard me talking to my friend Pat about the Daryl Hall YouTube series where he teams up with another musician and has a chat and plays music. It's amazing. Oh, wow. Okay, I need yeah. to find and It was that. actually his YouTube channel, name of his show, and I thought, oh, that sounds legit. <laughs> it wasn't legit. Not legit. Well, look, I got a message through Airbnb saying, hi, I have misophobia and I would like to see pictures offline of the state of your kitchen and your toilet. Oh. oh. How fucking dodgy is this? Through Airbnb. Reported that profile wow. straight away. But it is coming in thick and fast with the new year. People are thinking not everyone finds new year a happy, exciting time. Some people are home alone, lonely. Yeah. You know, they want to be receiving a dick pic is what the scammers think. Is that what they wanted? A dick pic? They wanted a picture of your toilet being used? Fuck knows. What, what's misanthropia or whatever it's called? Oh, what's misanthropia, misophobia. It's basically germophobia. Oh. Well, you know what, Michelle? That could be legitimate. Fuck that. No, that's not legit. Oh, okay. If somebody asks you to go offline to send mm. pics... I don't care if they want to see my toilet or someone on the toilet. It's not It's not cool. It's not happening. No. It's not happening. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, going back to the Instagram messages and all the famous people, it's a shame that it wasn't Stuart Copeland because then I would have had another fan story to tell to my friend, Benjamin Cartel, who recently asked me to contribute to his YouTube channel called Music Stories on YouTube. Benjamin Cartel is his name, C-A-R-T-E-L. He's a musician who I've known for many years as a friend. And he asked me to contribute a story Mm -hmm. about a band or a musician from a fan's perspective. And those of you on Patreon will already know which story I have told. It's the one that we've just done on Stalkers. And it's Adamat. That sounds wrong, (laughs) right? Because I'm not a stalker, but I met Adamat You've heard me allude to it before. I've gone into the full story, blow by blow, for Ben's music stories. I don't know when it's going to go up, but I will give you guys a shout out so you can all log in and watch me telling my story. And if you want to check it out, it's on YouTube at Benjamin Cartel. Wonderful. Well, I'll be linking that up on the Patreon, actually, because that's where we put our links. But we might even put a link to that on the socials because... We can do that too. That's a lovely thing for people to be able to watch. Absolutely. And more recommendations, Michelle. I've got an audio rec. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Over Christmas New Year, I had a listen to Uncanny, the Christmas episode. Now, we talk about Uncanny, which is a Radio 4 program 
you can also get it on BBC Sounds in the UK. I don't know where else in the world you can get it. Google it. Uncanny with Danny Robbins. Robbins with one B. It is with Daisy May Cooper, who's that amazing comedy actress. Yes. And she's on the panel for Nevermind the Buzzcocks. And she did, what was the TV show that she wrote and starred in with her brother? This Life. No, this What's it called? Oh, it was depressing. But yes, where they were chavs. It wasn't depressing at all. It was hilarious. It was them in the country. It was like a mock documentary. Her and her brother as youths. They played cousins. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Country Life. No, I got that series mixed up with the following one where she pretends to be a rich lady and it all goes wrong. That was a depressing one. But this one I'm talking about was her first one. Yes, with her brother. Her What is he? Burberry model brother or something. Yeah, he's a model. This Country. So I listened to that. She had a really interesting and a really interesting ghost story. She lives in a new build house in Wiltshire. Okay. And she and her guests had been hounded by ghostly sounds since she moved in and apparitions and actually saw the Christmas episode of Nevermind the Buzzcocks where she mentions this thing that happened to her. Oh. And Danny stayed the night to see if he could experience anything. The only complaint I've got about that, Danny, by the way, is that do we really need to hear you brushing your teeth? And he was talking through it. Oh. And at the end, he did a big hoik and a spit. No. I I felt like I was married to him. (laughs) I'm surprised he wasn't farting his little ass off as well. Because that's what you do when... Farting? Yes, if you're in the bathroom brushing your teeth, you take a little fart as well. Why not? While you're recording your podcast, I certainly hope not. Well, look, if he's brushing his teeth and chatting, I wouldn't be surprised if he slipped a little fart out as well. Well, I'm glad I didn't hear that, Danny. I would have gone right off you. (laughs) Going back to the idea of YouTube, we have had some comments. I mean, you know, YouTube is full of trolls. We get Half and half people love it and don't like what we're doing. Some comments of people, they don't understand that we're a podcast. They think we're oh. just dancing around just for no reason. <laughs> Look, there is one video. It's gone crazy on the YouTubes. It's where I'm yeah. in the toilet. I'm pretending to zip up my fly and drink oh. a glass of wee. People don't like that. People saying, oh, I hope that's not really a wee. Of course, it's not a fucking wee. Like, of course it's not. I'm not really drinking my own wee. I will link to the episode that this is referring to for anybody who is worried that I just... It was Strange Addictions or something like that, wasn't it? Where a lady was addicted to drinking her own wee. She felt it was beneficial for her skin. She was bathing Mm. in it. I just did an on-the-nose video for that. Well, people don't like it. They're very confused. Once I explain we're a podcast and it's a trailer for the episode, people do write back and say, oh, okay, thanks for explaining. Would you not like to listen to it? Does that not make you want to listen rather than just scrolling? Who scrolls through YouTube? I know, looking for a picture of a girl coming off the toilet drinking her own wee. And I sent, (laughs) you know, I always send a link to the episode. So you never know if we have some new listeners. Hello. Thanks for watching the YouTube. Thank you. And for listening. Did you steal my scrunchie? Well, have a look in your hair bag. Oh, sorry, pet. What was that? Well, thanks for the segue, Michelle. I'm just going to roll back because this week's episode was inspired in part by the uncanny episode that I listened to. And I have to say, when I was listening to it, Mm. I was doing a dog walk, headphones in, broad daylight. I got the chills, Michelle. I found it incredibly chilling. So I do urge you to try and find that somewhere to have a listen. And some of the things they talked about led me back to an episode of TV Gold back in the day, Most Haunted. Do you remember that with Yvette Fielding and Derek Akora? I actually have to admit I never watched it. It was like a ghosty-wosty chasing show where they'd go to old haunted houses and turn the lights off and then things would go bump in the night. They'd be filming it, screaming. Then they'd always have a medium on, often a guy called Derek Akora, who I'm actually going to talk about today because Uncanny's resident sceptic, Kieran O'Keefe, if any of you listened to Uncanny, he mentioned something and it all led back to Most Haunted. He mentioned a haunted theatre in Drury Lane And after I Googled it, I found out it's Theatre Royal and it's a theatre that's been in the same location in London, Drury Lane in London, since 1661. The current Theatre Royal building has been there since 1821, making it the oldest in the capital. And it's actually considered lucky to have a resident ghost reside in a theatre. But this one's super lucky because it's got five. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is giving me moments of a series I just watched called Starstruck Season 3. 
with uh, Rose Matafeo. She's a New Zealand woman. And oh, yeah. she ends up falling in love with a, Ghost? a film star, oh. movie star. He does, he's doing theatre in London. And she goes in and, and there's meant to be all ghosts everywhere. So I think it is oh, a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Theatres are meant to have ghosts. Well, apparently the Theatre Royal has a grey man who is supposed to have been an actor in the 1700s. And this ghost has been seen by 70 witnesses at once. There's also a pantomime dame who died in 1904 and the so-called lavender lady, which is called that because apparently there's a pong of lavender whenever she's close by. And actors... Love that. I know, it's great, isn't it? Actors have also been known to have a boot up the bum if they're in a performance that isn't up to par from famous clown actor, ghost of, obviously, Joseph Grimaldi. And... This is relating back to Daisy May Cooper's story, which if you've seen Nevermind the Buzzcocks or listened to this episode of Uncanny, you'll know what I'm talking about. There is a set of disembodied legs that roam <gasps> the backstage corridors. Just the legs. Just the legs. And I've seen something like that myself as well. So let's talk about the show Most Haunted and the resident medium, one of Derek Akora, who I mentioned earlier. He used to have a phone in and that's when I first became aware of him. Friends of mine at work said, oh my God, you should listen to this guy. He's scarily accurate. People, just regular people ring up and he tells you with great authority that so-and-so is getting in touch or this is going to happen or that's going to happen. It's quite mad. Is it bullshit though? Because I always feel like Derek Okora is like a bit of a joke medium or is he legit? Well, this is what I'm going to talk about today, Michelle. We're going to talk about Derek Okora, all about him. He used to have a very lucrative psychic hotline and it seemed accurate. Derek passed away, age 69, <gasps> on January the 4th in 2020. I didn't know he was not with us Yes, he anymore. died. Yes, he's no longer with us, Michelle. So please be careful what you say about the dead. Have some respect. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. Anyway, he was best known, like I said, for Living TV's Most Haunted, which was cult reality viewing that followed a team of paranormal experts, like I said, and investigated haunted locations. And the other lady, Yvette Fielding, she was an ex-Blue Peter presenter. And that was started by her and her husband, Carl Beatty, and their production company called Antics. Derek was an ex-footballer. And I think he was an ex-Australian football, despite being from Liverpool. And he claimed, yes, I didn't go straight into that detail, but I'm sure if you Google, you'll find out more. It's very hard to get past these main stories, though, because it's quite quite controversial what I'm going to tell you. And Derek claimed to be both clairvoyant and clairaudient, which means that he could hear and see spirit things. Yet he was often accused, like you alluded to a minute ago, Michelle, of being a fake. But he insisted he was genuine. And at times, most entertainingly, he would become possessed while his co-host Yvette Fielding would look terrified. <laughs> this is a good one. This is classic cult stuff. And I never knew anything about it till I looked into it. Once Derek became possessed by the ghost of a woman named Mary, who through Derek told her of her love for a gentleman by the name of Dick. And he got possessed. And he, <laughs> he told Yvette Fielding, Mary loves Dick. Mary loves Dick. Mary loves Dick. And she hit, then he said, Richard. And then he said, Mary has a great love of Dick. <laughs> oh, my God. But what I didn't realise, Michelle, was the uncanny connection to Kieran O'Keefe. He was their resident sceptic on the show Most Haunted. He worked with Derek Akora. Right. So before working with Danny Robbins on Uncanny, he was on, on The Most Haunted on show with Derek Akora. Mm. Not Most Wanted, Most Haunted. Did I say haunted? So he's been a sceptic, professional sceptic well, for quite some time. He's actually a lecturer in the paranormal at Liverpool's Hope University. And that's how he got the job. If he's an expert on paranormal, he's looking at both sides if he's a scientist. Yes. Anyway, he, he did a pretty good episode of being a sceptic because in an episode of Most Haunted filmed in 2005 in Bodmin Jail in Cornwall, yes. Kieran left the name of a notorious South African jailer, Creed Kafer, on a piece of paper and spoke about Creed Kafer while Derek Akora was in earshot. So when the cameras rolled, Derek became possessed by Creed Kafer. However, Kieran revealed later that he made Creed Kafer up <gasps> completely. It was an anagram of Derek Faker. No! <gasps> mm-hmm. Wow. So he was busted. He was busted. Then, not content with that, Kieran, your little naughty imp, he went ahead and did another one in the next episode where Derek claimed to communicate with a ghostly present called Rick Edels, which was another anagram. This one 
was Derek Lies. Oh, my God. After all of this, Michelle, Derek had no choice but to leave the show. Yes. And Yvette said afterwards publicly, we tell people that everything is real. Then it turns out he was a fake, so he had to go. Yeah. Kieran at the time was really concerned that speaking out against media darling Derek would have ended his TV career. But he really felt strongly that the viewers should know the truth. And he said... I think it's time to open the dialogue about what I've experienced on Most Haunted. There have been many incidents with the medium that has been brushed under the carpet. I was put on the show to give a professional slant to it, to give it an element of credibility. But the sceptical argument is just swept away. In my opinion, we're not dealing with genuine mediumship. Right. Other crew members have been irked by Derek and what's going on because it turns what should be a serious investigation into a laughing matter. Yes, and I think when people tune in, they are expecting the fact-checking and the person who's being the medium to have been vetted. I don't want it to be a joke. No, you don't want it to be a joke. So the Mirror Paper gained access at the time to unedited footage of episodes where other cast members appeared to be amping up the ghostliness. Right. For example, there was one clip that showed the producer Carl Beatty pushing an unwitting sound man in the dark and pretending it was a poltergeist attack. Hmm. That part was cut, but what was left in was, shit, did you feel that? Oh. And Yvette says, are you all right? What's happened? Right. And Carl says, I felt something touch me on my shoulder. And the sound man says, I felt something hit me. Right. Okay. So it's about clever editing here. Mm-hmm. Mm. In another clip, Yvette is seen on camera making a deep sigh and that scene was edited to cut that bit out, but then picked up moments later with a cast member saying, what's that noise? And Yvette saying, what noise? Like a moan. And this guy replies saying, breathing or something. And she said, I heard like an arg. <laughs> okay. So they're all guilty of it as far as I can see. But Kieran joined Most Haunted in April 2004 and immediately became suspicious of a Cora while on a shoot at Castle Leslie in County Monaghan in Ireland, where a 17th century four-poster bed had been claimed to levitate. Right. And Kieran remembers, as we walked into the bedroom, Derek touched the bed and came out with extremely accurate information. He insisted he got all the information just from touching the bed, but it was the wrong bed. Oh, no. Okay, so this guy, what a fakeroony. Fakeroony. But Antiques Productions at the time responded by saying that the mediums have no idea where they will be filming or know any details about the history of the locations. However, Derek must have had prior knowledge of the location. So that's why he decided to devise his plans to unmask him. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm sceptical of TV shows and I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But we also have to remember when it comes to TV and you and I have a friend who is an ex-high-level TV producer, it's entertainment at the end of the day. Yeah. That's what those producers are going for. They are going for highest ratings, high entertainment value. But Derek Akora didn't have to worry too much because he quickly went on to present Derek Akora's Ghost Towns alongside presenters Daniela Westbrook and Mylene Klass. And then he was a contestant in Celebrity Big Brother in 2017 and he finished fourth. Did he? I'd love to have seen that. I think that sounds like fun. Apparently he went into the sound of people chanting, Mary loves dick, Mary loves dick. (laughs) (laughs) Going back again from 2017, we're going back to November 2009. Derek Okora was the psychic in Michael Jackson, The Search for His Spirit, in an attempt to contact the ghost of MJ. Now, I watched this. It was dull as ditch water, hosted by June Sarpong, Where Is She Now?, with David Guest in the studio. I think he passed away, didn't he? Did he? I think so. Apologies if he's still alive. Derek was with a bunch of fans wearing sequins, all dressed up as Michael Jackson, not all of them, (laughs) some of them, sitting around a table with a hat, with Michael's hat in the middle of the, the table, and they made contact And the contact was a lot of flannel in the beginning of Michael Jackson trying to get the hang of speaking through Derek. And he wasn't going to channel him. Right. Because obviously Derek can't do the accent, can he? (laughs) (laughs) But then he did answer a few fan questions like, what was your favourite performance? That was what they asked. Oh, my God. Yeah. So no revelations, really. But the fans were open jawed, weeping, sobbing throughout. Ridiculous. Derek says he has a spirit guide named Sam who helped him through his life decisions and he first met Sam in a previous life. He told the Nottingham Post, 
I first met my spirit guide Sam in a previous lifetime when I was an Ethiopian boy and Sam was a friend of the family. This is about 2,038 years ago. Oh, precise, Derek. (laughs) Sam was an oracle with psychic powers who travelled from village to village. When my village was attacked by some marauding invaders, I heard the screaming and I scampered away. When it settled, I crawled back to find my family had been massacred. Sorry about that. Two days and nights passed before Sam arrived and shouted my name out. And from that day on, I travelled with him. That's the story of Derek and his spirit guide. Quite weird. It is a bit weird. He did court controversy, though, Michelle. He, at one point, said that he received a message from Madeleine McCann through Sam, the spirit guide, and that did not go down well. Apparently, Sam told him and Derek published these words saying she's not on this earth anymore and that the child would soon be reincarnated after joining the spirit world. But the McCann family were disgusted by these claims and Derek had to apologise to her parents after mass outrage. Right, okay. I'm on Derek's side in that one. Well, the thing is, Michelle, there's fresh hope because there has been a child that was abducted, albeit by his parents to join a cult, but he was abducted from his grandparents who were actually his legal guardians at a really young age and he's recently just found his way back. He was picked up hitchhiking in France trying to escape. Wow. Returned to his his grandmother. Yeah. I want to know more about that. It's interesting. Pin that. Yeah, pin that. But going back to our friend Derek... Derek and Yvette, they weren't on good terms by the end of Most Haunted. But there's one episode that I watched and I'd love you to link this up. Derek claimed to be possessed by Francis. And during this possession, he got right up in her face and menacingly spat, you're a hussy. And then he got angry saying, take thy hand off me, wench. I'll scuttle your legs. See your breasts, wench. What? And then he ran after her and security had to take him away. Oh, my God. He's he's out of his mind. There's so many. There's the confrontation one as well. I don't know if people know this one. Yvette was criticizing. They're sitting together head to head. She's criticizing the spirits for being cowards, for not coming forth. Then Derek became possessed and shouted, confrontation, several times. Causing Yvette to actually spring out of her seat before Derek began to smash the place up. And security once again had to restrain him while he announced, I'll slit you. Oh, my God. (laughs) People are tuning in just to see Derek Okora lose his shit, aren't they? It's entertaining, I tell you. But no matter what you think, whether he's the real deal or Derek Faker, he was certainly a character and he remained positive to the last In a Facebook message that he posted hours before he passed away after a short illness, he said, Have a great Friday, everybody. Just remember, remain positive. A positive attitude can overcome any amount of negativity. That's his statement for life. When everyone's telling you you're a faker, just stay positive. You'll still get a TV show out of it. Good on you, Derek. R.I.P. R.I.P. Derek, if in fact you are dead. Or do we know for sure he is dead? Maybe he's going to come back. I think he is, yes. He's going to come back and possess us for taking the absolute piss out of him. I hope that doesn't happen. Witches. Monsters. Demons. Lobsters. Hoggers. Murderers. Nasty people. Naughty people. Supernatural and paranormal. I've got a little something for you, but I'm going to have to preface it with a bit of a trigger warning here because it's a little bit true crime and a little bit psychic. It's actually all taking place in Australia. Going back July 11, 1990, when 23-year-old Scottish-Australian woman Sarah McDiarmid was on a train home. I would say that's Dermid. M-A-C-D-I-A-R-M-I-D. Dermid. McDermid. McDermid. I don't know. Dermid. McDermid. Dermid. That's just what I think. I might be wrong. Well, no, you're pretty good with the pronunciations and especially the Scottish. I think you do that quite well. Maybe not. (laughs) Well, she was on a train coming home after playing tennis with friends in Flinders Park, which is in East Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. She was travelling back to Cananook, which is near Frankston, which is on the outskirts of Melbourne. And when she was travelling back with her friends, they all got off the train at Bond Beach, leaving Sarah alone for the last part of the train ride to Cananook. And around 
10.20pm, she got off the train at Kananook Station, poorly lit, not a lot of lights, headed to her 1978 Honda Civic, which was parked in the station car park. Never seen again. What? Never seen again. What happened to her? You're going to find out. Well, actually, I don't know that you are going to find out. Oh, it's not a mystery. It is a bit of a mystery. So rewinding back, Sarah was just a nice, smart, funny, normal girl. She lived at home. She apparently was pretty reliable. So when she hadn't returned home by the time she said she would, her brother got a bit worried. So he went down the car park to see if something had happened to her or maybe she had car trouble. And when he got there, he actually found Sarah's car, but no sign of Sarah. He went home, kind of, you know, scattered around looking for her, didn't see her, went home. When she didn't come home that night, the next day, the family did report Sarah missing to the police. And in fact, Sarah's dad went down to the car park to take a look around to see if he could come up with something. Because I think as a parent, you're probably distraught. You just want to go down to see where your daughter's car is. He walked around Sarah's car. He saw some puddles of rusty water around the car. But police afterwards investigating Sarah's disappearance said it wasn't rusty water. What was it? Blood. It was blood. Yep. Oh, no. They also discovered that there were heel drag marks from the car leading into some nearby bushes. They found a cigarette lighter in those bushes belonging to Sarah. And these are the only clues ever found relating to this case. Now, police believe, and they don't know for sure, but they believe that Sarah was accosted and assaulted at her car. And then her body was dragged to these bushes opposite the car park. And they think she lay there for quite some time before she was taken somewhere unknown. Oh, my gosh. And that is pretty much all they've got on what might have happened to her that night. More than they think that the killer, although she's still technically missing, the police do believe she was murdered. They think whoever murdered Sarah was someone who had the presence of mind that night to dispose of a body and dispose of it pretty well because she was never found for the next three weeks a huge search for her was conducted and they got helicopters and planes it was by sea and by air and by land and they looked in drains and they searched vacant land they combed beaches they did everything and nothing was found they did a public appeal and in fact two witnesses did come forward who reported that they'd seen some drunk dudes in the car park that night who have never been identified Mm. and that they heard a woman at the station yell, give me back my keys that night. Oh God. Now they're not sure if that is connected to Sarah's disappearance or not, but a $1 million reward was put up for any information that solved the case. And that reward still stands today. Wow. And in 1990, that was a lot of money. You know, Geordie, this happened to me with the cult story recently because I thought I'd uncovered this little unknown cult called Lovers One. Is this a Netflix limited series? Well, (laughs) it's not on Netflix, but this case came up. So it is a little bit zeitgeisty because there have been a few podcast series made about Sarah's disappearance in the past year. I had no clue about this and full disclosure, I didn't listen to those series because I'm less interested in the grisly details of what might have happened to poor Sarah that night. And I am more interested in what the psychic detectives have uncovered. Yeah, because whenever there's a missing person that's never found, the psychic detectives come in thick and fast, don't they? They do. So instead of listening to the episode about Sarah on a certain high-profile Australian true crime podcast that sounds like that case file. I'm just saying it's okay. case file. <laughs> you know. He really annoys me because, I mean, I love listening to case file, but I think he's been told to enunciate better. And every time he tries to run some words together, it sounds like he's saying a uh, something, a uh, something. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't think of an example. A red, a car. <laughs> a red, a car was a driving a down, a country, a lane. Are you? He does that. Have a listen. It's not exactly like that. I have to admit, I have turned off him. His monotone does sort of just annoy me. I had it on once and Andreas was like, what the fuck are you listening to? That is so <laughs> annoying. I had to turn it off because he was getting very annoyed by it. So no, I didn't listen to those podcasts. Instead, I decided to watch an episode of a series, Australian series, called Sensing murder. 
Sensing murder. Sensing murder. I like murder. the sound of that. Yeah. The Last Train Home is what this episode oh. was called. And Where can we find this TV show? I'd like to watch Oh, you that. have to dig deep into YouTube. I'll, I'll put a link to it okay. because it's from 2003. Okay. 20 years. 20. Years ago, and uh, it's hosted by Australia's sweetheart, who actually turns out she's a New Zealander, Rebecca Gibney. Who's that, Jackie? Jackie, what's her name? The smiley one from Hey Hey, it's Saturday. No, what's her name? Jackie McDonald. Jackie McDonald. No, it's not her. Not her. She's another one of Australia's sweetheart. I can really date myself, can't I, with Australians because (laughs) I left the country in 1990. She was big then. Who? Jackie McDonald. Hey, hey. I never watched Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. You didn't get that in Canberra. We're talking about Rebecca Gibney. Oh, she's still going. My parents love her. She's in a show with a vineyard at the moment. She loves it. Well, she must have had a bit of a career lull after her flying doctor days because she was doing um, Sensing Murder. She's been busy, Michelle. She's another person I think you'll find. Oh, really? Who is probably sweeping the the gold Logie boards. Right. Please excuse Michelle just deciding that your career is over as well, Rebecca Gibney. Very, very famous and very popular, well-paid Australian stroke New Zealand actress, along with poor old Ben. Ben Mento. As well, Ben Mendelsohn, who's also been swept to the gutter by Michelle. Well, do you know what? And who was the other one? Stephen Graham could also do better, according to Michelle. I'm not a fan. (laughs) I'm not a fan. But I will say I tried to watch the film with him in it. with Boiling Point. No, I'm talking about Ben Mendelsohn. There was a film that has just come out. Our longtime researcher, Al Teggett, sent a link to it. The Marsh King's Daughter. Yes. You mentioned it. Yes. And I put the trailer on. I said to Andreas, how about this? Would you like to watch this? He said no. Oh, so that's that. He thought it was looked a bit scary. So next time he's watching his Swedish shows, I'm going to watch Marsh King's Daughter because I thought it okay. looked great. Instead, we watched another film from 2004, actually. One of my all-time favourite films, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I need to see that again. I think it still holds up. And Jace was like, it's a bit weird. I'm like, oh, I'm there sobbing at the end. Like going, if I we're doing, love it. Oh. I love it. If we're film. doing a little segue for a wreck in the middle of your story, Michelle, can I just say Sorry. Salt Burn. My husband and I watched that and a couple of our listeners have reported back they also feel slightly the same as me. Although some people like it. I do not like it. It's a right shocker. Funny you should say that because Jen got in touch saying Did she watch Saltburn? She said watch Saltburn <laughs> and she said, Oh it's- what? Yeah, she said, watch Saltburn, and she was sort of describing it to me a little bit, and I said to her, Mum, this sounds a little bit... Talented Mr. Ripley? Yes, that's exactly what I yeah. said to her. She said, mm, no, well, just watch it, is what she said. So Jen's watching Well, good it. luck with that. Oh, really? Good luck with that. Oh. Oh, God. It was just so twisted and disturbing. Wow. Okay, now I really There's need... a lot of penises in there, Jen. Did you get your fill of penises? Oh. Because there was enough of them. <laughs> oh, Jesus. She... Lots of willies dangling about. She did say... Oh, you know, there's a lot of those bloody sex scene rubbish going on, is what she says. So it's quite, I mean, I was watching it with my husband and we were both very embarrassed. Okay. Okay. So a bit too much gratuitous sex. There was a couple of scenes. There was a graveyard scene and there was another scene, which I won't mention. Jesus. It'll be obvious if you watch it. Well, I'm just getting just visions. had of... to look at each other screaming. We were screaming. Oh my God. Well, I'm getting visions of... You know, all of those 70s demons, like crucifixes, where she's having a sex with the crucifix. I don't know what I'm talking about in the graveyard. But anyway, let's move on. Let's get back to your story because I'm starting to forget what we were talking about. Psychic murders, psychic detectives. So look, I did watch this show. And I fucking loved it. I thought it was amazing. There's hokey reenactments. There's shonky presenting. But I thought the Wonderful. two psychics they got to investigate the case were brilliant. And I'm going to go through why. First up, Rebecca Gibney tells us that 100 psychics were interviewed and tested for the show to see how legit they were. Mm-hmm. Derek Cora, you would not have made it. Take note. Only two were selected to look into Sarah's case. A woman called Debbie Malone who we have talked about on this very podcast because she was the psychic in the Lynn Dawson case who was convinced Lynn was under the concrete near the pool. And this show was years before the Teacher's Pet podcast and renewed interest in the Lynn Dawson case. And if I'm correct in this, Debbie has worked with various police forces around Australia for a long time. Then there was another psychic called Scott Russell Hill, who apparently is also a well-known psychic in Australia. They weren't given any details of the case. All they were told 
was that they were working on an unsolved murder. No other details. And they don't live in Victoria. So they were flown from interstate to Victoria. And the crew were given strict instructions not to tell them anything, not to give them any visual clues, not to give them any kind of responses. They were given nothing to work with, apparently, except Debbie was given Sarah's violin so she could channel energy. And from this, Debbie said she thought the victim was a woman in her early 20s and the victim was worried about her mum. And then Debbie said she thinks there's some kind of heart problems with either Sarah or her mum because she's feeling tightness around her heart. And apparently... Sarah had a serious heart condition as a child. So tick to Debbie. Now, Scott, on the other hand, was given a birth date, but nothing else. Not her sex, nationality, location, nothing. And he was left in a hotel room overnight so he could try to tap into the energy of this birth date and channel any visions that came. And the next morning, he says he connected with a woman. And her energy. And he goes on to describe her. And he says she has light brown hair that's really boofy. (laughs) (laughs) Only an Australian would use that as an actual description. Oh, her hair was really boofy. And the thing is, I totally get what he means. I don't know that anyone who's not an Australian knows what You suffer the boofy hair as well, don't you? I do get the boof. I get a boofy. It's just big hair. I get the boofy hair for sure. I haven't actually thought of that word for years. Boofy hair. Anyway, (laughs) he says it's shoulder length. Well, I have to say tick to Scott because tick, she had a boof. She had the boof. She had a big boof. Yep. She had the boofy hair, light brown as well and shoulder length. Now he says it's a woman in in her 20s, Yeah. uh, early 20s, tick. But he says she looks much younger. And yes, actually, Sarah does look younger than her early 20s. And he's accurately describing Sarah when she died. He says from the energy he's receiving, he thinks she's been dead for 12, 13 years. And you know what? Mm. It was 14 years. So oh. tick, 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 tick. He is absolutely fucking nailing it. Wow. Then the TV crew show him a picture of Sarah and he's like, that's it. That's her. That's who I've been connecting with. Then he says he's seeing her in some kind of uniform or outfit. And he says there's a train track. That night, Sarah was in tennis gear, which I guess could look like a uniform. And she did obviously go missing at a train station. So this guy is nailing it. And then he says there's a red car associated with the case. Because he said, I don't know if it's her car or someone else's. But yes, Sarah's red Honda Civic was red. Was her red Honda Civic red? What? Thank you for Did the I just say her red? down. <laughs> her car was red. Let's just say that. And then he says her car was found, but she wasn't. And that's the truth. Chill bumps. I know. He's really good. And then he says he thinks a serial killer is involved or he's oh. getting the vibe that whoever killed Sarah has killed before. Oh, gosh. That's alarming. He then says... There's an Aboriginal name associated with her disappearance. And he says it's a K name and he can't quite get it. Kanahooka. No, Kananook. Kananook is Kananook. the name That's it. of the station, but he doesn't know this. And he's right. saying things like Kersbrook, Kanmantu, and he's saying it's an Aboriginal name. And he's like, be patient with me. It's going to come to him. Very good, isn't it? He is very good. And Kananook is spelt with a K. And I yes. did look it up and it is an Aboriginal name. It means yes. sweet water. So Scott is smashing it. Now, Scott doesn't live in Victoria, but he has been to Melbourne. And he said he did stay in a hotel once in the Frankston area. And he says he's getting the feeling that this is where he needs to go. Yeah. Boom, Geordie. He's on it. He's really on it. So then he's like to the crew, let's get in the car. I want to go to Frankston. So they do. They get in the car and he's feeling Sarah's energy and Sarah's kind of directing him. And then he's like, I can visualize the spot, but I don't know where it is. She needs to lead me there. The stronger her energy is, the more he knows he's going in the right direction. And then he says, there's another girl, Kathy or Carol, that was also murdered, but her body mm. was found. Mm. Mm. He's getting energy of another murder. But he says, Sarah was murdered, but never found. Yeah. And he keeps seeing a vision of a tennis racket. 
and a pedestrian overpass that he needs to find. And he says, this overpass is near a train station. So then they're in the car and he's like, no, her energy's fading. We've gone too far. He's like, we need to go back. We need to go back. And he's like, we need to find a train station in that direction. You know, the crew apparently are not saying anything. They're just doing what he says. So they double back, keep driving around the streets. And then he sees an overpass and he's like, this isn't it, but we're close. And then he sees a smaller overpass and he says, guys, Stair is stepping forward. And then you just see him crumble as he looks out the window and he's like, he literally says, oh, fuck, there it is. And it's Cannonook Station. And you can see he's really shaken by it. And he's like, he's found it. He's found the spot where Sarah was taken. Golly. I know. And this is why it's like, yes, it's like shonky, you know, reenactments and shit. But but actually, for me, I was like, I was reeled (laughs) in. I was reeled in. Like, I think he's the real deal. Then we see the other psychic, Debbie Malone, who was put on a train to see if she could get any visions from being on the train. And she ends up at Cannonook. Now, I don't know how, but somehow she's there. And I will say that I do think Scott is the star of this episode. Right. Because he seems to just be nailing it, blow after blow. Yeah. And Debbie seems good too, but I feel like she was maybe given a bit more information. Right. She's at Cannonook. She's looking around. She's channeling some information from Sarah and she's walking into the car park and she says, she feels that Sarah was approached by someone and she says Uh there's four people in a car and that they're stopping and asking her for directions. Mm. And then she points to a place where she thinks Sarah's car was and she was absolutely right. That's exactly where her car was. So tick to Debbie. And then she says, Sarah had her keys in her hand, but she dropped her keys. Oh, no. Yes. And that Sarah screamed, but no one heard her and that Sarah's keys were never found. And whoever took Sarah, they've got the keys and her bag. And she says, Sarah was alive when they got her in the car and they took her to another site. And she says, she thinks Sarah's remains are near a dam because she keeps seeing reeds and fresh water, not salt water. This whole episode goes into a lot of detail. It cuts back to Scott and he's saying that he sees her walking to her car, not many people around Uh, He sees hands around her throat and strangulation. Yeah. He also sees a knife and he says he sees her injured, but that she was taken somewhere else as well. Mm. And Mm. he's right. You know, tick, tick, tick. This is exactly what the police think too. Yeah. He says her car was in that car park at Cannonook, but he says she was taken away and that someone or something hasn't come forward I don't know what he means something something but he says the name he's like it's Donald or Ronald that's Mm. the first or the last name and then he says he's getting this vision of a cream colored Commodore that was there in the early 80s with a dodgy exhaust he's like this car was around this area all the time and that there's more than one murder so he says that there have been other murders in this area and that he's getting visions of a recycling station or a rubbish dump. Somehow he's drawn a map on like, I don't know, a napkin or something, very crude map. And he's like to the production team, you need to find what this place is on a map. This is where I need to go. Because I think he's channeling Sarah drawing this map. Right. It turns out where he's drawn is a recycling dump. And he says, that's it. Take me to this tip, basically a garbage tip. Yeah. And he says, this tip, it's a dumping ground. And he says, there's more than one body here. He's like, there are a lot of bodies here. He's like, this place, he he said, there've been a lot of dump and runs. And he's like, this is where the police need to look. This is where her body is. He's then walking around the train station as well because this series it's cutting back and forth and you're seeing all sorts of reenactments and whatever but he says he's seeing somebody who is overweight younger with dark hair he's saying the energy of this person is really strong and that they maybe lived nearby and as he's talking and they're at the train station a cream-coloured Commodore (gasps) drives past the train station and he's like, what the fuck? And they also see a fat guy on a motorbike. Oh. And he's saying, 
I'm getting this name, John Denver, John Denver. Why am I getting John Denver? It turns out, and I know this is all sounding disjointed because the way that this psychic is talking, it is quite disjointed. He's getting clues from here and there. Mm. He's saying, I'm getting a name, John Denver, but it's not the name. There's a P name. It's Peter or Patrick or Paul. And the surname sounds like John Denver. Well, what he's done is identified because they go back and say, yes, you know, what you're talking about is somebody called Paul Denya, who was a serial killer, 21 years old, convicted of killing three women in Frankston. Okay. What he's doing is he's sort of connecting the dots between Sarah's case. Yeah. And this Paul Denya, whose MO is apparently that he would snatch and grab women and then kill them and move them away from the site. Mm-hmm. Now, Denya apparently denied killing Sarah, but he admitted to other murders. I don't know if he was really a part of this or not, but he was 17 in 1990 and is serving a life sentence for the murder of those other girls. At the time? Yes. So he was a serial killer at age 17? Yes, horrible. He's saying, listen, you need to look into this guy as a potential killer of Sarah. Apparently, too, this guy lived 300 metres from Cannonook Station. Oh. Then you get uh, Scott, the psychic, saying his energy is associated with the case, but he's like, I don't know if he's the one, because he then goes back to this Ronnie, Donnie, whatever. He then draws a picture of this guy. He then says, look, this guy, Ronnie Donnie, he was part of this gang, dealers and druggies, and they used to hang around here. Mm. And he says there's more than one person involved. Knives were involved. They were off their face. Maybe it was a wrong time, wrong place for Sarah. But he keeps going back to this cream Commodore. And he says he has this feeling that somebody is standing on the bridge on that overpass the night Sarah disappeared and saw something and he's getting a name Chucky Baldy Charlie and he says this guy is older he's in his 60s and he's seen something and nobody's listening to him so it cuts to this private investigator Anthony Weymus who is working with Scott to see if any of these leads are going to go anywhere he goes to all these RSLs around the place he talks to landladies and whatever this one woman at the Seaford RSL, and an RSL is a retired servicemen's league club. Mm-hmm. It's for people who are not Australian. It's kind of like going to the club. She says there was an old guy called Bertie who said for years before he died that he knew what happened to Sarah. He'd seen something. Oh, Essentially, we don't know what Bertie had ever said. I don't know. I mean, it's not chalky. It's not chalky or Charlie. It's Bertie. It's Bertie or Baldy, he said at one point, didn't he? Baldy, he did, Mm. yes. So maybe he was on the right path. Apparently, too, near Cannonook Station, there was a a correction centre, like almost next door. And there were gangs, like the dealers were often in there. And there was a woman called Jodie Jones who was convicted for a murder who was part of that gang and apparently was in that corrections facility, sentenced to jail for jumping on a man's chest Oh. In high heels. God. Until he died. Oh my God, that's horrific. Now, she was interviewed in relation to Sarah's murder, but she said she was staying with a friend that night, so it wasn't her. This in private investigator, because Scott had been giving a lot of information and he had given apparently some information to this investigator about a woman in that druggy gang. That's why they've gone on to Jody's alibi. Now, he went and found this friend who Jody apparently was meant to be staying with. And Jody's friend says, mm, not sure it was actually that night. Ooh. So she's kind of going back a little bit. Jody's actually passed away now. She died in prison. But there was an, another inmate called Leanne who was friends with Jody in prison. And she says that Jody admitted to her that she killed Sarah, <gasps> but that she will never be charged because they'll never find the body. Wow. Yep. And like I said, Jodie Jones did die. Apparently she died of a drug overdose in prison a year after Sarah disappeared. There was also, when this private investigator started looking into this gang that Jodie Jones was the head of, Hmm. really serious gang, 
there was a guy called Paul in Jody's gang who drove a cream-coloured sedan. And witness statements from that night apparently say a cream-coloured car with a rattly exhaust <gasps> was at the station the night Sarah disappeared. Another tick. Yep. Although the guy who owned that car, he's dead. Okay. He apparently gassed himself to death. Oh, my God. It sounds like it's so convoluted and far-reaching, like tentacles everywhere. A lot of tragedy. I mean, why on earth, if it was Jodie Jones, why on earth would she kill Sarah? Well, apparently she's not a nice lady. She kills for fun. She was violent. She killed for fun. She would torture people. She was not a good person. Apparently, also in that gang was a guy called Donnie. Ah, Ronnie Donnie. Donnie. Yep. Yep. And he was seen at the train station with Jodie Jones at Cannonook on the night Sarah disappeared. Oh, gosh. Well, it's all kind of lining up, isn't it? Yep. But nothing definitive. No. So Debbie Malone said there was a guy with a nickname called Rat or Rat Tail mm-hmm. who was in that gang because she had also said there was a gang that night. And indeed, Tick, there was a guy called Rat who had a rat tail in Jodie Jones's gang. Look, there is so much more, so much more that goes on in this series. You know, identikits and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, these psychics were kind of dismissed by the police. Well, there's nothing that they could go on. Well, yes and no. No solid leads. No solid leads, except Scott did say, look, let's just go to the police about the dump. Because, you know, it was landfill, because this is 14 years later, that part of the dump had been covered over and they'd grown grass. They tried to regenerate mm-hmm. it. When they went to the police to say, can you dig up this part of the old dump to see what, you know, if there's any bodies there or any remains? I bet they didn't want to do that. Well, they were prepared to do it, except that particular part of the site, they'd installed a methane system right. and it was 20 metres under concrete. Mm. So the request was denied because it wasn't just digging up soil like it was a lot of infrastructure right this psychic detective that's what I mean it is still a bit of a murder mystery and there's no answers here look I do think there's something in it I do think that both Debbie and Scott came up with details that were unknown to the public unknown to the police but were connected in various ways I mean the thing is with the identikit that Scott had put together it really did match some traits of people who were in that gang. Also, this investigator did find a witness who previously had made a statement to police, which said she saw Jody, Donnie, and Rattail Guy at the Cannonooks train station the night Sarah disappeared. Yeah. And that shortly after 10 o'clock, she saw the three of them follow a girl in the car park and attack oh. her. <gasps> And then she said she heard Jody screaming, what have you done? She's dead. And then this witness, a couple of days later, received a threatening letter from Jody. Keep your mouth shut. Retract your statement from police. I don't know how much of this is clutching at straws. Were these psychics onto something? But this poor girl, she was 23 when she was murdered. 1990, 14 years later, these psychics are involved Still, people are talking about this case today. Maybe I should have listened to the case file episode. (laughs) Maybe it had a bit more info. But to be honest, if we're talking about mediums, which is what this episode's about, it does point strongly to some very strong links. And I'm finding it very interesting to hear how they've been directed to areas that have relevance to the case. My only thing is, a little bit like Derek Okora, this is a TV show. Yeah. This is essentially entertainment. You know, this is to get views. How much of the information was fed to them and how yeah. much was actually their own psychic ability, we'll uh-huh. never know. You know, it's a little bit like when Debbie Malone was talking about the pool with the Lynn Dawson case. I think that actually turned out to be nothing. I'm not sure if they ever did dig up that pool. I found this really fascinating. I thought they had a lot of great leads. And if nothing else... 90s television with Rebecca Gibney. What's not to love? It's worth your hour or whatever it was of watching. (laughs) If you've got some free time. Thank you, Michelle, for digging that up. That's really exciting to hear about the fact that 
these guys out of a hundred psychics, these two had mm. so many interesting leads. None of them to be proved, and unfortunately for Sarah's family, they never got to the bottom of it. However, I do find that interesting. This case has had a lot of attention recently in the last year. So Mm. maybe fresh leads will come out of it. Maybe someone new will come forward and say, actually, it's been, what is it, 30 odd years? Yeah. Since 1990. Maybe someone will come forward and say, yeah, I actually do know something about this case. Because that million dollar reward is still there. But listen, I want to wrap up this week's episode because we've got a little something from someone. I forgot to say before, but it's not too late to have a little word of encouragement from one of our biggest fans and our resident hot guy, Al Taggart. He's got a little something to say. Hey, Jordi and Michelle, it's Al Taggart here, ringing in to wish you and all the eavesdroppers a very happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. I'm ringing in from Bateman's Bay, the home of the Baywits, Geordie's ancestral home. Thanks for all the stories, murders, myths and mysteries of 2023. And I uh, look forward to a whole bunch of new stories in 2024. From your resident hot guy, older guy, I'm definitely not a unicorn, Al Tegart. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Al, for that wonderful message. And of course, it only leaves us with one last thing to say. Or three last things. And they usually sound like this. Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.